Hello and thank you for joining us for Clinical Conversations podcast. We are going to be discussing cancer of unknown primary. Um, My name is Ailsa Oswald and I'm the Vice Chair for Education for the uh, Training and Members Committee for the Royal College of Physicians Edinburgh. Um, And I'm delighted to be joined by Dr Mark Stairs, who is a Senior Medical Oncology Registrar. Mm -hmm. Hello. Um, I thought that it would be useful to discuss cancer of unknown primary um, given that it's a common referral that we get as an oncology on-call registrar and that we recognise it's a frequently encountered clinical situation for general medics, GPs and you know other specialties including surgeons. Um, it can be quite a challenging clinical situation and it can be quite an uncertain time for both you know patients, relatives and doctors as well which is why I thought it would be a useful thing to chat a little bit about in more detail. So to begin with, um, Mark, I wonder if you could actually define for us what do we really mean when we say cancer of unknown primary? Uh, well, I suppose cancer of unknown primary means different things to different people and it's a, it's a condition which hasn't been very well defined in the past until nice guidelines came around in 2010. So in the strictest form of the definition, cancer of unknown primaries are patients who present with metastatic malignancies for which we've not identified a primary origin despite extensive comprehensive investigation and that investigation must include uh, a biopsy and histopathological analysis of the tissue. Um, they are rare cancers uh, and as a group they represent about two to three percent of all cancers which makes them in the UK the 15th most common type of cancer but rather alarmingly they're the fifth most common cause of cancer death in the UK which reflects kind of the poor outcomes and the lack of treatment options for many of these patients. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so I, I sense that sometimes the, the term cancer of unknown primary is used in some other um, situations, maybe when patients haven't gone down the route of a, a biopsy. So how is cancer of unknown primary different to what we call malignancy of unknown origin? Yeah, so I suppose malignancy of unknown origin and cancer of unknown primary, so MUO or CUP, they're often used interchangeably. Um, and I think it's important to think about what the pathway for patients who present with cancer is. So about 10 to 15% of patients who present with cancer present with metastatic disease in the first instance. And most of the time, it's pretty obvious where the primary cancer is. So the patient has uh, a CT scan of their chest, which shows some lung lesions, and they've got a large mass in their kidney. We can be fairly confident that that person's got a metastatic kidney cancer or a patient presents with new bone metastasis, having had a history of breast cancer, and in those instances we assume that patient's got metastatic breast cancer until investigations have been carried out. But sometimes it's not obvious where the primary is on a scan, and we call those patients MUO, they present with MUO. And a number of things can happen to those patients. Uh, in the first instance, it may be that patients aren't suitable, they're not fit, you know, because they've got comorbidities or because they're very unwell for further investigations. And if they don't have it for investigations, they retain the diagnosis of MUO, that's their final diagnosis. Other patients go on to have investigations, which might include imaging and biopsy. And in some patients, we find that they have a non-cancer diagnosis, so things like infections or benign lumps can masquerade as cancer sometimes. In the majority of cases, we find the primary. If we look hard enough, we find out where it's come from. When you examine the tissue, it may become more obvious where the cancer's come from. But actually, it's that smaller group of patients who, despite having lots of investigations examining the tissue, they've still not found a primary site and we call those patients uh, cut patients. Okay, that makes sense. So there is there is a sort of a difference between those two groups. Um, 
So I thought it might be useful to kind of take a, a theoretical clinical case and, and kind of work through it. Um, so, for example, let's say that you had a 65-year-old lady who was admitted through the general medical team, not known to oncology. Um, she was admitted with weight loss and fatigue um, and she's had a CT scan and it shows that she's got bilobar liver metastasis and a right upper lobe pulmonary nodule. So what more, what other information would be useful at this stage to know um, that the, the medical team could gather? Uh, so there's, there's lots of information that we want to know about. I, I suppose the first question is, who is who's going to be asked this to, to have this information. As patients presenting with malignancy like this, it's not uncommon. And I think the key thing is that they can present to anybody in any specialty, medical, surgical, general practitioners, and, and even our radiologists refer patients to us when they spot things on scans that might be incidental. Um, there are lots of things we want to know about the patient, but I suppose the primary thing is what are the patient's wishes and what's the patient's fitness like? What is their past medical history? Is there anything in their comorbidities which might limit them having investigations or might limit their potential for treatments? Um, the key thing when we investigate any patient in this situation is trying to identify easily treatable diseases, so diseases with good prognosis. And that may be a benign condition or it may be a known primary or some types of cancers of unknown primary. Uh, there are a number of things we want to know. Uh, kind of first off, uh, and in particular, is the patient's performance status. Uh, and that's a measure that is used often by oncologists and not so much by general medi uh, medical physicians uh, to assess how fit someone is generally. So me or you, Elsa, who are able to kind of be up and about all the time and we're working and active, we would have a performance status of zero. And people score a higher number depending on how limited they are in their activity, all the way up to four if they're essentially bedbound. And somewhere in the middle, someone with a performance status of two. Uh, would be someone who's up and about more than 50% of the day and can do their activities of daily living but aren't able to work. And we know that performance status is a very good measure of how fit people are and how suitable they are for further investigations and cancer treatments. Great, that's really helpful. So what would be the next steps for the medical team in a case like this, Mark? Well, if it's decided that someone is fit for further investigations and it's appropriate, uh, there are a number of things that, that should be done. There are a number of investigations which are pretty standard, um, but other investigations really depend on exactly what you f the feel for what's going on and what the, the particular situation might be. Um, I'd say that the core investigation that we carry out as oncologists, any cancer, is a, a radiological investigations and a CT of the chest, abdomen and pelvis is really important here. But that should be preceded by a really good clinical examination of the patient and a really thorough history taking to kind of pinpoint where more detailed examinations might be necessary. So for someone who we've identified a neck lump, adding a CT of the neck to the CT set abdomen and pelvis would clearly be very important. Other specific investigations are really only done dependent on what the signs and symptoms would be. Um, and, there are, and there are lots of things that we consider and there'd be things that you consider for standard cancers as well. So if a patient's having problems with swallowing, an endoscopy might be appropriate. If they've had a change in bowel habit, a colonoscopy may be appropriate. Uh, we don't routinely recommend that patients have uh, things like tumour markers done uh, without a clear kind of reason for doing them. But for instance, women with pelvic or peritoneal disease may benefit from having a CA125. Men with bone metastasis may benefit from having a PSA examined. Uh, patients with bone only disease may benefit from having a myeloma screen. Um, of course, so it's important to think about exactly what's going on with the patient, how they're presenting and, and what investigations would be most appropriate for them. 
Great, that all makes sense. Um, and are there any sort of resources that you can suggest? Yeah, so the NICE guidelines recommend that any cancer centre has a Cancers of Unknown Primary team uh, who are there really to look after and assist uh, medical teams who are looking after these patients. So if you're in a, in a hospital situation or if you're a GP, you should be able to refer to a Cancer of Unknown Primary team. And I expect those teams to have resources which may be, might be useful for you, for you as well. So here in NHS Lothian, we have a, a, a CUP MUO diagnostic pathway uh, and a route to referral to the CUP team. And there's a phone number you can call up as well, and that's very similar in other centres. Uh, more nationally, there's guidelines within uh, NICE. They published the guidelines in 2010, and they're very detailed online and give you a good example of kind of things that are appropriate to be doing, uh, appropriate investigations and appropriate first steps. Great. I I also wonder, are there ever any times where um, if you have a a patient presenting that you would want to let oncology know about them urgently? Uh, Yeah, so of course, if if a patient presents with uh, a complication, an oncological emergency complication of their cancer, we want to know about them as soon as possible so we can treat them. And the most obvious one that springs to mind is spinal cord compression. Uh, In our experience, you know, about 5% of patients with cut present in that way and we need to know about them so we can treat them uh, for their oncological emergency. But patients presenting with um, hypercalcemia or malignancy or SVCO are also equally important to hear about. Um, similarly with men with midline disease, when we're thinking about a germline tumour, it's often useful for us to know about them pretty quickly, especially since we can get a diagnosis pretty quickly by doing some simple blood tests uh, and start some treatment for those patients. Uh, I think in general though, it's nice to hear about our, these patients at an early stage and, and I think there are a number of reasons for that. We know that survival in patients who present with MUO is pretty poor. So in our cohort, for instance, in Edinburgh, uh, the average survival is only in the region of four to five months. Um, so kind of getting on the ball at the very beginning, trying to identify patients who might be suitable for treatment, but equally identifying patients who might not be suitable for investigations or treatment is important to do as, as quickly as possible so that we can get patients down the right route. Uh, but also, once we've identified uh, an easily treatable uh, indication, we want to get that person started on treatment as soon as possible. You know, a lot like we do for all our other cancers and, and things like two-week waking in England are very important. Um, so trying to get to know about these patients as soon as possible. That said, we don't want to be inundated with you know every obvious primary cancer. Uh, there are very clear routes for patients to go down You know, if there's a suspicion of lung cancer, a suspicion of colorectal cancer. Great, that's, that all makes sense. Um, you mentioned this a little bit anyway, but I thought it'd be quite interesting um, to talk a little bit about the outcomes of these patients, um, as I know that you've been involved in some research um, of the cancer of unknown primary population locally in southeast Scotland. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? Yeah, so we're very lucky here in Edinburgh that there's been a, a cancer of unknown primary service in existence for 10 years, and the team have done a really good job of collecting clinical data about these patients over that time. So we have a large comprehensive clinical database that we've been looking at and, and trying to do some work with. Uh, one of the things we've looked at is outcomes because despite the fact that this is a you know now a well-known condition with nice guidelines, we've not really known what happens to these patients and um, we've got some publications which have shown some of this data. We know that patients who have MUO that, that aren't suitable for investigations or, or treatment have a poor prognosis and that might be as little as six weeks on average. Uh, we know we can identify patients with primary cancers which have got relatively good prognosis who can live for years and, and somewhere in the middle we've got patients who have cancer of unknown primary. Um, 
uh, but survival is still pretty poor in these patients, even with treatments. And I think it's important that we have a real-world setting for our data. Most of the data we've had for these patients comes from clinical trials, and of course you'll know patients who get into clinical trials are often the fitter group of any cancer group. They manage to get through their investigations, they go to a tertiary referral centre, and that might take a number of weeks, and by definition those patients have to do well to get to that situation. So whereas clinical trials have suggested that patients with Cook might live for one to two years, our data suggests that time may be much more limited, maybe in the region of six to nine months, depending on treatments. One of the other things we're trying to do is to look at what the biology of these cancers is. And it's very unclear at the moment where these cancers arise. And there's lots of research going on around the world trying to answer questions about how we treat these cancers. And the two important questions that are being asked are, can we identify the tissue of origin? Can we kind of figure out where the cell of origin was? And that might help us direct that treatment. If it looks like a lung cancer or it looks like a colorectal cancer, treating it like one of those cancers may be useful. Or can we identify biological differences in the tumour which we can use some of our targeted treatments for? So can we identify very particular mutations uh, which are sensitive to uh, different drugs? Uh, my interest is also looking at the evolutionary biology of these cancers, which I think is really interesting. It's an area which hasn't really been looked at before now. Um, can we see how these cancers differ from other primary metastatic cancers uh, where we do know where they've come from? And will that allow us to think about new treatments in the future for cancer overall? Yeah, that sounds really interesting and exciting. So you mentioned that performance status and fitness can often um, predict the outcome in this patient group. Are there any other tools or biomarkers that we can use to predict the outcomes in this group? Yeah, so lots of people have looked at these um, because it's, it's really important both for picking out who should be investigated and then trying to decide who to treat. And, but also for giving patients information about their prognosis, which is something we do in other cancers routinely. And we've been very good with our staging scores in those cancers to be able to predict how long patients might live. And we know from clinical trials how long they might expect to live with treatments. Uh, performance status remains the number one thing to use. Uh, and different groups have looked at different things. Uh, we've recently been looking at biomarkers of systemic inflammation. Um, we think these are really useful markers because they use things which are routinely available to clinicians, such as simple blood tests, neutrophils, albumin, CRP, uh, and in particular combining those latter two into a score called the Glasgow Prognostic Score, uh, which is a, a measure of inflammation based on albumin plus CRP. We see in patients who present with MUO that the MGPS score from 0, 1 and 2 can stratify survival from 13.6 months to 2.3 months and our most recent analysis suggests that it may be useful for picking treatment options in patients with uh, a confirmed cup who we see in the clinic. Uh, hopefully in the future we'll have more information as well, uh, uh, things like patterns of disease in terms of radiology, um, immunohistochemical mark and the things which can help us stratify our treatment decisions as well. Great, that all sounds really exciting. So my final question is, if you had sort of two or three clear messages that you would want doctors or healthcare professionals to remember whenever they're dealing with cases of cancer of unknown primary or MUO, what would it be? Uh, well, I think the first is that to know that there are teams out there who can help you uh, and give you information and advice about how to manage these patients. I think when you're faced with a patient and trying to figure out what the right things to do, there are, I think there are two main things. 
I think the first is to think, is this someone who would be suitable and appropriate for investigations and treatments? And if they're not, thinking about good palliative care support is really important because um, time can often be, be short with poor prognosis. Uh, but it's also recognising that although prognosis is pretty poor in this group, that there are a group who have favourable prognosis and the investigations are aimed at identifying these patients as early as possible uh, and getting on with management as soon as possible. Great, that all makes sense. That's really helpful. Thank you very much, Dr. Steers, for, for joining us. Thank you to all that have listened to this podcast. We've, we hope that you find it helpful um, and we hope that you'll be able to join us for our future podcasts.